cub bounce the check. And no, it ain't all about the dough, but my people still pull. Reparations is due, so just give me what you owe. No, we won't renounce the debt. America bounce the check. And no, it ain't all about the dough, but my people still pull. Reparations is due, so just give me what you owe. Capitalists are the enemy, but we get treated like the villain. When prison is homicide, cause they making a killing. And war generates more loot, so that's why Bush is going off. Half cocked like Joey Butterfuco, he don't care about jobs, it seems. So I gotta use my pen to get money like an ATM machine. The economy's at its lowest by far. So I'm the black man, gotta work hard like Mel Porno stars to my soldiers. At a Cobra, hold your head, it's not over. Jim Crow ain't dead, he just got a little older, more colder, so we gotta be less passive, more bolder. So, so the devil can wag the road when the plan field ain't level yet. I thought you knew. Only credit they'll get from me is an IOU. And I don't care about no damn quotas. Just give me what you owe. All right, good evening, everyone. Hello, I am Jamai Wuyer, the founder of the National Black Cultural Information Trust, an initiative dedicated to sharing cultural information, stories, and resources that uplift the collective freedom of Black communities while also challenging cultural misinformation. This event is co-hosted with the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America and COBRA, the premier mass-based coalition of organizations and individuals organized for the sole purpose of obtaining reparations for African descendants in the United States. This morning, the House Committee for the Judiciary Subcommittee and the Constitution, Civil Rights and Civil Liberties held a hearing on H.R. 40, exploring the path, the path to reparative justice in America. Two of today's panelists gave testimony, Dreesen Heath of Human Rights Watch and Cam Howard, National Co-Chair of Encobra. The bill was originally introduced by the late Representative John Conyers Jr. in 1989 and is now sponsored by Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. This bill establishes the commission to study and develop reparation proposals for African-Americans. The commission shall examine slavery and discrimination in the colonies and the United States from 1619 to the present and recommend appropriate remedies. This evening, two panels of reparationists, activists, and scholars will discuss the HR 40 bill and how to move the movement for reparations forward. As we follow today's discussion, please join us in using the hashtag HR 40 Forum. Now, I'd like to introduce my co-moderator, Reverend Mark Thompson, host of Make It Plain, member of ENCOBRA, the National African-American Reparations Commission, and the Black Church PAC. He will be joining us at 8 p.m. to co-host the 8 p.m. panel. So our first set of panelists are attorney Nikichi Taifa, the president of the Taifa Group and author of Black Power, Black Lawyer. Dr. Ron Daniels, convener of the National African American Reparations Commission and president of the Institute of Black World 21st Century. Then we have Jeffrey Robinson, Deputy Legal Director of ACLU, and Ms. Kenneth Henry, Chairperson of Encobra Legislative Committee. Welcome to all of our panelists tonight. Thank you so much for joining us for this important conversation. So the first question I wanted to start with is, what work is your organization currently doing to organize around reparations? 
Well, I'm not quite sure who wants to start, but since I kind of cross a lot of different organizations, I'm going to take the liberty. Is that okay, uh, Jessica? Sure, go ahead. All right, so I am a family member of FINCOBA, National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. I'm an inaugural commissioner on NARC, the National African-American Reparations uh, Commission. And I have my own firm, the Taifa Group um, LLC. And all, excuse me, and I am a past uh, lobbyist with the American Civil Liberties Union Washington office from way back in the day. Um, but all of these organizations have really been at the forefront with respect to the progression of reparations for um, Black people uh, in this country. And all of these groups are working collectively and uh, collaboratively. And I'm going to really just stop at this point because we have the movers and shakers of these groups right here on the line. We have the mover and shaker of the uh, Legislative uh, Commission co-chair of NCOBA, Kenneth Henry, and we have the convener of the uh, 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 NARC, National African American Reparations Commission, Dr. Ron Daniels, and we have the mover and shaker, the person who really um, uh, served to really make sure that this issue was in the mainstream on the line, Jeffrey um, Robinson, currently with American Civil Liberties Union. So I'm going to just um, stop talking and turn it over to these mover and shakers in terms of what their organizations have been doing. Well, okay. I'll do. Okay. Go ahead. You Definitely go ahead, Ms. Kennis. Oh, okay. Um, I am the um, national co-chair for the Legislative Commission for INCOBRA. I've been with INCOBRA about four years now. Um, prior to that, uh, I have an uh, interesting background of uh, working um, to uh, get legislation passed at the state level in Maryland. And at the county level, uh, I've done some other uh, interesting things at the federal level, but my most um, profound opportunity and, and, and what I bring to this group is I do a lot of the outreach, which means I have to get co-sponsors uh, and um, honestly, that that is kind of like cold calling, if you will, because you're selling someone who may or may not be willing to come on as a co-sponsor. And the thrill is when you see that you were able to actually sell them on the idea of coming on as a co-sponsor, especially for this piece of legislation, which um, it, there, there's no middle ground. You're either for it or you're against it. And last year, um, I, along with uh, an awesome group of collaborators, we were able to get 173 co-sponsors um, in the last session. And this year, in a, a very, very short period of time, we've actually been able to bring on 162 co-sponsors. And, and that is probably the, the, the thing that I am most proud of. Thank you. Mr. Robinson. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Jeff Robinson and I'm a deputy legal director at the American Civil Liberties Union. <clears throat> the American Civil Liberties Union has not historically been a significant supporter of HR 40. And that started to change several years ago. Our national board took a vote in 2019 that was anticipated to be a very uh, 
it, it was definitely a spirited uh, vote with a spirited debate, but I think I had some concerns over whether uh, the ACLU would come out in support of HR 40, but our national board did. And not only did they come out in support of HR 40, but the ACLU has taken strides to work with the National African American Reparations Commission and in COBRA and the other black led groups that have been fighting for reparations for decades. So what's our role? We can promote the words and the work of the people who have been fighting for reparations with our platform. We can say that the largest civil rights organization in America has finally determined that HR 40 is a bill that has to pass. And working with Narcan and COBRA, we have put on forums around the country in Washington, DC, in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, to, uh, virtually from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we're planning another one at the beginning of March, following up on today's hearings, virtually from Seattle, Washington, with additional uh, collaboration with our Japanese-American uh, co-activists and supporters. So the ACLU's role is to support the groups that are doing this work and to use our organization and our platform to get the word on HR 40 out as clearly as possible. Well, let me just say first and foremost, what a great day for reparations. Uh, my mentor, Queen Mother Moore, and the many, mentor of many, uh, many of us is smiling today because this is an incredible moment in the history of reparations in this country. And I'm proud as uh, president of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century, which specializes in cultivating a culture of collaboration to heal and empower Black families, communities, and nations uh, to be the convener of the National African American Reparations Commission, which is a collaborative of Black scholars and faith leaders and activists and organizers uh, including foundationally in COBRA. And I must say, I'm honored to be a lifetime member. I was not privileged to be a founder, but I am a lifetime member of Encobra, and it is a great day for Encobra, the organization which for many, many years held us together, carried the struggle. And today to see Cam Howard testifying and, and to see Encobra on full, uh, fully there in the center of this and to see that Kenneth, that Kenneth Henry, that's this woman over here. This one, this is the baddest sister in the movement, the hardest working. I mean, this sister is phenomenal in terms of what she gets done. So it's a proud moment. And so what we do with the National African American Reparations Commission, it is one of we have a ten point program which we uh, we see as a potential framework, uh, frame of reference for the reparations debate. We support HR forty. We also. Um, deeply involved in helping to deal and, and support local reparations initiatives. You'll hear later from Robin Ruth Simmons. We played an integral role in helping to certify that uh, Evanston, Illinois is a model. I think it's the model, but I'm supposed to be modest. It is a model for reparations initiatives all over the country. We also have the privilege of, of convening. One of the most exciting things that I've been able to do, I was a dear friend of Congressman John Conyers. He can asked me many, many years to be the convener or facilitator of the HR 40 uh, reparations brain trust or forums. Uh, and so I'm honored to have been, to be in a position to now facilitate 
I think now we're going into maybe week 28. We have been busy, a broad coalition, putting their energy together, putting their efforts, putting our brain power together in order to push HR 40 to the point that it is now. So that's the role that we play. We have such great partners, uh, Jeffrey Robinson, you know, we came together and we've done these great forums all across the country. That was a major breakthrough. Human Rights Watch, Center for American Progress. I mean, there are just all of these and, and major faith organizations. Samuel D. with Proctor Conference, National Council of Churches. There is a huge group of people who are working on this. And that's why we're at this moment. And it is a significant moment in the history of reparations in this country. Akichi, did, did you get a chance to answer this question? Well, I don't know what to say other than I was there at that September 26, 1987 founding convention of uh, in Cobra, and I want to just give a little background, if I, you know, if I can, some little background that most folks don't really uh, know. But for year, for decades, this issue, long before in Cobra, had been kind of saddled within the nationalist, Black nationalist, Pan-Africanist uh, community uh, with organizations and individuals that I was with and connected with. A lot of people talk about Queen Mother Moore. Today, Queen Mother Moore was a Pan-Africanist and she was a Black nationalist. And the uh, founding actually came, uh, it, the, the, the catalyst um, was a conference that the National Conference of Black Lawyers held at Harvard University in 1987, uh, wherein they invited three persons, myself, Chokwe Lumumba, and Mario Bedelli, to present papers on whether uh, in a, a constitutional amendment was needed to effectuate re reparations. And all three of us concluded that no, a constitutional amendment was not needed because Everything that was already there was already there. We didn't need anything extra. The second clause of the 13th Amendment says that Congress should have the ability to enforce this amendment by appropriate measures. And we're saying reparations was one of those uh, measures. So when Imari Obadelli, again, from the Black nationalist community, saw the need to broaden this, connected with the National Conference of Black Lawyers and other groups and called upon reparations loving people across the country to come to Washington to determine how we're going to push this movement ahead. And the nationalists and pan-nationalists supplemented their politics to the back burner to allow for the greatest capacity of Black folk to come together. Sororities and fraternities, church organizations, civil rights groups, the larger Black community and the like. And this is the fruition today of that momentous time back in 1987. Thank you so much for that important background and history. Um, going that route, why H.R. 40? What about H.R. 40 moves the descendants of enslaved Africans towards full repair? Um, we can start with you, Dr. Daniels. Well, H.R. 40 is, um, first, of all, first of all, let me just say that, uh, and we should also just remember John Conyers on this day too. I was glad his name was evoked today. Uh, reparations, Ray Jenkins. I mean, there's so many people out there whose names, Dr. Conrad World, and whose names should be mentioned at this moment because they play such integral roles in the cross-generational struggle. Um, the reality is the bill, the first bill, H.R. Uh, 40, introduced in 1989, 
was essentially a study bill, which was a good thing because it was an incredible organizing tool. But as things developed over the years, we all knew that enough studies had been done. And so it was in COBRA in, in collaboration with the National African American Reparations Commission that actually rewrote the current bill to be a remedy bill, not just a study bill. And it's important for people to know that. It is a study bill, but it is a, a bill to study and develop reparations proposals for African-Americans. That is a qualitative difference. Now, that doesn't mean that the struggle is over and so forth and so on, but we're no longer talking about whether reparations are warranted. We're talking about in what forms they shall take. The beauty of the way this was done is the bill was largely written on the basis of international principles that uh, Cam and others uh, uh, outlined today. The whole notion of full satisfaction uh, for, for and repair of our communities, all the things that are involved with that, non-repetition, uh, satisfaction, cost, uh, compensation, restitution, all of those things are built into uh, HR 40. And in an interesting kind of way, there's a lot of people talking these days about, you know, about uh, reconciliation, and we're all for reconciliation, but reparations comes first. And the discussion and narrative about the story and history is built into the process. There will be conversations and narratives and discussions, but it is all to buttress the idea of full repair. Uh, and that's why HR 40 is so uh, significant. That's why it's so important. Uh, and that's why this is such a milestone moment in the history of people of African, of African people in this country. Ms. Henry, you have any thoughts on this? You're muted. Sorry, just a couple of basic thoughts. Um, in addition to those whose names we, we raise up, um, I also wanna pay homage to Ms. Callie House because she indeed was a pioneer in the reparations movement and um, her story so moves me to want to stay in, in, in the forefront of this movement. Um, and as Dr. Daniels has said, it is about full repair. It's, it's not about piecemealing. We have to have full repair. Uh, our communities are damaged and, 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 and to try and uh, do something other than resolve intergenerational poverty um, and, and uh, the disparate impact of healthcare, uh, the disparate impact of education, um, <clears throat> cannot be solved. It, 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 there's no way for it to be resolved unless we do have full repair and unless we do address those five areas of injury and make sure that reparations take the various forms that uh, have been already mentioned. And of course, you can always go to encoveronline.org to get more information, but uh, definitely, it cannot be uh, a hit and a miss. We have got to, to make sure that we bring it full circle and we do Miss um, Callie House um, a lot of, of, of honor for, for her taking up the battle so long ago. Thank you. Could I also just quickly make another point or two on this in this regard? Because this also came out in the hearing today. Uh, there's a lot of conversation, not only about reconciliation, but about equity. And it's all good. We, we want equity. But equity is about what happens from this point moving forward. 
it does not deal with the history of enslavement and all of the derivative racially exclusionary uh, policies that have damaged our communities uh, since that time, uh, since enslavement. So that's an important thing. We're not opposed to reconciliation. We're not opposed to equity. Equity is a good thing, but that's, that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about all of the accumulated damages that have occurred that can only be resolved uh, through, uh, through reparations. The other thing I thought was interesting to come out uh, uh, today is, you know, there are going to be a lot of not only equity, there are going to be a lot of things that are happening, good programs, Marshall Plan, whatever. There are a lot of good things that could happen. That's ordinary public policy. We're not talking about ordinary public policy. We're talking about policies that are, that are specifically related to uh, the issues of enslavement and all of the racially dis- ex- exclusionary policies that occurred after emancipation. So we, that's important because a lot of times in, as people are getting into the reparations movement, it's important that we have that kind of clarity. All good impulses, but reparations is distinctive in that it's, it's for full repair and it deals with the greatest Holocaust in human history and all of the derivative damages uh, flowing therefrom. Nikichi, thoughts? Uh, yes, I want to say, in addition to uh, those international uh, law standards, the criteria for reparations, which was brought out so eloquently um, in the hearing this morning on restitution, compensation, rehabilitation, uh, satisfaction, and uh, guarantees of non-repetition, uh, it's also important to um, submit that in the specific context of Black people in uh, this country, that the quest for reparations also encompass four elements. Number one, the formal acknowledgement that there was a historical wrong and an official unfettered um, uh, apology uh, for the dehumanization and atrocities of the um, enslavement era and beyond. And I say unfettered because both the House and the Senate passed um, uh, apologies, um, you know, in the past. The Senate apology, however, came with a disclaimer that anyone who tried to use that apology as, um, um, you know, to, to, to seek reparations would not be able to do so. So we say official unfettered um, uh, apology. Number two, the recognition that the injury continued and still continues today throughout the years of of not only enslavement, but after enslavement and Jim Crow and Jim Crow apartheid and, um, um, you know, the, the, the policies and practices, whether it's in economics or health or um, uh, education, you know, the criminal punishment system, culture, the lack of the right to self-determination, all of those as- aspects. Number three, the commitment to redress by culpable parties, whether we're talking about the federal government, state and local governments, academic institutions, um, corporations, industries, uh, religious institutions and the like, all of whom enjoyed unjust enrichment. And then number four, the actual compensation in whatever form our forms are agreed upon. I just wanna stress whatever form or forms are agreed upon because reparation must come from the injured parties uh, themselves. It's not something to be a judge from a high. The Robinson. I think the only thing that I would add uh, is the sense that I got from the hearing today 
that those speaking against H.R. 40 are desperate and just falling back on tired narratives that are neither factual nor accurate. And you heard this major discussion. I'll just give you one example. You heard this major discussion about the three-fifths rule in the Constitution. And there were people who were trying to say that, no, no, this was an example of how freedom-based America was. It was a compromise because the Northern people thought that the enslaved people shouldn't be counted at all. They weren't given human rights, so they shouldn't be counted. They tried to turn this into some kind of a morality debate. This was about money and about votes. And what it was about was not only Congress, but it was about the Electoral College which was also created in the Constitution. And just in case anybody is wondering, did the Electoral College and the Three-Fifths Rule, were those things really created to protect the Southern ability to maintain the institution of slavery? Well, seven of the first 12 presidents of the United States came from Virginia, and two others came from North Carolina and South Carolina. So nine of the first 12 presidents of the United States came from the South. The Electoral College and the Three-Fifths Rule did exactly what they were designed to do, to support and defend the institution of slavery. And so I was just taken, I, I was uh, amused, quite frankly, at what I consider to be the inaccurate and desperate attempts to fall back on narratives that have no credibility. And I think that's what the opposition is reduced to. Thank you for answering that. And going along that vein, one of the biggest issues that we have when we speak to people about reparations is some folks really believe we have no legal claim or try to complicate the claim. So, Mr. Robinson, what is our legal claim concerning reparations? And, you know, that's the interesting thing. H.R. 40 is not a lawsuit. H.R. 40 is a piece of legislation where Congress is saying, if we look at the history and determine that the history demonstrates that Black people in America have been discriminated against for long after the institution of slavery. As Dr. Daniels said, you can't fix what brought us to 2021 with new policy going forward. The new policy going forward is critically important, but you can't fix what brought us here with new policy. And so I think that's what people need to understand. And, and just one last thing I would connect to that, because these are some of the uh, objections that we heard today. Well, how far back do you go? You can't go back 400 years because America only started in, and now the dates get switched. It's either 1776 or 1787 or 1789 when the constitution was actually ratified. And, and the fact is this, I hope that many of the folks viewing have had a chance to look at the HBO series, The Wire. There was an actor who played a role, uh, the, the, the role was D'Angelo Barksdale, and he had this to say, you can make up a new story, you can say you're somebody new, 
But what happened before is what really happened. And what you did before is who you really are. And so the quote unquote British colonists that on July 3rd, 1776 were British colonists and on July 4th, 1776 were all of a sudden Americans, they brought with them their sins, their behaviors and their commitment to white supremacy when they became America. That's why we say going back to 1619. And so all of these things are tied into what Dr. Daniels and Nikichi and Kennis and others have talked about in terms of the basic reason why reparations is repair for the past, not good policy for the future. Thank you so much for that response. Anyone else have anything to add? Yes, I will also just add Attorney Jeffrey Robinson is absolutely correct. HR 40 is legislation, it's not litigation. There is litigation going on though right now. There has been litigation that's gone on in the past. Thus far, just about all the, the litigation has been um, struck down, whether it was on um, um, a specious state statute of limitations grounds, you know, or the like. And I say specious because, you know, it's like in Tulsa, really, um, there were this lit litigation going on now, but the past lawsuit that was squashed had also had living descendants. I mean, people in the 90s, in their hundreds, okay, centurions, okay, who were part of that um, uh, claim. And what, 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 what was said, what the state was saying was that, well, you didn't speak up before. Well, one of the reasons why they didn't speak up was because the information had been withheld or people were terrified, traumatized. That's part of the reparations thing, the trauma and the intergenerational uh, trauma as a result of these atrocities. The casket is just now being opened up across the country on these atrocities, whether they're Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Elaine, Arkansas, or um, Wilmington, uh, North Carolina, or um, uh, um, Colfax, Louisiana, uh, you know, the list goes on and on ad infinitum, you know, almost. And the more and more you hear, you say, like Gil Scott here and say, who's going to pay reparations on oh, my soul? It's not just the economics. It's not just economics. There's so many of the injury areas that we have been inflicted upon, meaning that the remedy must be so many as well. So it must be multifaceted um, as well. Another um, area I just might want to um, 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 raise uh, is that sometimes the arguments may, well, this isn't a legal issue, okay, this is an issue for policy. Well, we got votes in both camps, in the legislative camp, the policy camp, in the litigation uh, camp as well. And then a, a, one final argument that's raised is uh, sometimes the, the issue of latches. Latches is a legal document that basically says if you sleep on your claim, if you don't bring it up, then you're foreclosed uh, from ever bringing it up. Well, as we have always brought up from Encoba to NARC to all of the organizations, there has never been a period of time when Black people have not talked about and, and, and sought for the issue of reparations as, as, as uh, Kenneth talked about uh, Callie House. And before that, there was Belinda Boyo and there was Henrietta uh, Woods. And then there was uh, uh, um, uh, Marcus Garvey and the UNIA and you know Queen Mother Moore, even Martin Luther King, yes, all the way down to uh, the Black Panther Party and the Nation of Israel. Islam and the Republic of New Africa, and the list goes on and on, the Black United Front, all the, the, the National African 
African National Reparations Organization, all the way down to Encoba, which I credit being the uh, the dawning of the modern era of the reparations movement. And we're going to be bringing it to fruition now. Thank you so much. Um, so the big question, and this is a question we get all the time. Our chat is filling up with the, this question, the Q&A. What is reparations? What does it look like for us? Is it a cash payment? Is it policies? Is it structural adjustments? What is reparations? What does it look like for descendants of Africans enslaved in the United States? Um, Miss Kenneth Henry, would you like to go first? Um, sure. Um, reparations has, it can take on the appearance of so many different forms. And let's start with the cash payment, uh, because that seems to be the, the number one issue. Where's my check? Cut my check. Give me my check. Um, when we speak about intergenerational poverty, um, checks do not solve the problem of intergenerational pro uh, poverty. It is money, you cash your check, you spend it, and that's the end of it. Reparations must take on a variety of different formats because there are so many ills in our communities and they have to be resolved. And you cannot resolve every issue with a check. Uh, I'm not saying that that uh, financial remuneration cannot be a part of it, but there are so many other things that have to be dealt with. We have to deal with the uh, fact that in our community, and, and, and it has become very apparent with COVID-19, that we have health issues that go um, much deeper than other ethnic groups. Um, we have educational issues um, that have to be dealt with. We have housing issues that must be dealt with. Um, there's just so much that has to be corrected and repaired, full repair. And just to give somebody a check is not going to, 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 to solve those issues. So for me, I'm, I'm not saying don't give folk a check. What I'm saying is reparations must be full repair. It must be full reparations. It must be full repair. And we must be able to declare that there has been a healing process that has taken place. Dr. Daniels, you're muted. And I think that's incredibly important. And this is a highly debated question. And, and I think the, 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 I don't think anyone is discounting the possibility of people getting checks. It's just that it has been reduced to a check. But really, it's much bigger than that. And I was so delighted that uh, Dreesen Heath, for example, you know, talked about Tulsa. And so even if all of the descendants, and first of all, there's a tragedy, there's a resistance to doing anything, but even if all of them had received compensation or a check, it really does not replace community. The Greenwood District, which is Black Wall Street, and I learned that through, you know, I, I always thought it was just Black Wall Street, but there's a green, Greenwood, that community was destroyed. In order to replace that, that takes more than a check. That takes looking at how do you restore community. And so much of what we talk about in terms of the National African American Reparations Commission is yes, individual benefits are, are, are you know, they're, they're, if where they're warranted, that, that's fine. 
but in some ways, the, the, the question of the collective becomes important. Ujima, I mean, Ujima, the collective becomes, the, the community. So for example, how do we talk about, and Kenneth referenced it, you know, how do we talk about land and economic development for the totality of our community? How do we talk about repairing the healthcare infrastructure within our community, communications infrastructure? I mean, these are community-based concepts that we need to also focus in because we have seen community after community after community destroyed. So Elaine, Arkansas, they're not necessarily looking for a check. They're talking about how do, how do you restore the community, but also restoring memory, identity. So it's deeper than just, again, the question of a check. And you massacre after massacre after massacre, not just massacres. It was mentioned today. You know, the whole question of, of urban renewal, gentrification, displacing Black people and Black culture. How do we retain community? And so I'd like people to really think about that so that it's not one against the other. It is really a bigger, broader concept of how do we, again, achieve full repair, full uh, uh, restitution of our people. And that requires us to also focus on the, the collective uh, in its entirety, I might say. So shall I jump in? Yes, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so the harms from the enslavement era and thereafter, they were multifaceted, as I always say, thus the remedy must be multifaceted as well. I will be the first to say, okay, and, you know, because I always bring this up, that cash payments, direct benefits are an important and necessary component of any claim for damages. I'm a lawyer. You get hit by a car. You know, you get damages. That's what, what it is. I know my mentor, Brother Mari, said, I want to get my teeth fixed. But that's just one teeny, weeny, small part of it. Okay. The crux is that a reparation settlement can be fashioned in any way as necessary, in any form as necessary to equitably address the countless manifestations of genocidal treatment that uh, accrued from chattel slavery and uh, its continuing vestiges. Some forms of um, collective benefit could be land. Can we talk about land? Can be housing, can be community and economic development, can be cessation of taxation, can be the right to self-determination, can be repatriation resources, can be the erection of, of monuments and, uh, and museums, it can be scholarship, it can be truthful textbooks, it can be correcting the, um, uh, the excesses of the war on drugs, which has been targeted to Black people, it can be pardons, okay? commutation of sentence clemency for those who um, were victims of the COINTELPRO counterintelligence um, um, uh, uh, era. Uh, the bottom line, though, is that the commission, HR 40, is the province of the commission to bring the minds together to come up with these recommendations, not for me to just spout it out or someone else and say, I have the end all or whatever. It's from the body of experts to come to hear from the community, okay? And put forth some proposals um, for um, consideration. Could I follow up on that briefly? Because what Nikichi said was so important. And I hope folks uh, saw today at the hearing Kathy Masoyoka 
from the Japanese American community who did a fantastic job of testifying. And as she said herself, when this issue first came up in the Japanese American community, she was against reparations. And there were many Japanese Americans who were against reparations or who thought it should go this way and not that way. And part of her testimony that I think was so important and part of what we can learn from their experience is that, as she said, the commission is a beautiful vehicle to bring people together to have these discussions. There are so many people saying, I know what the solution is. It has to be my way or it's not real reparations. And what I want to say to them is, who died and appointed you, God? Who said that you're the most brilliant person on the face of the earth? Maybe I have an idea that's different from yours. And I think my idea should get the same respect as yours. That's why you have a commission of experts who can bring this information together. And in the conversation and the hashing out of what it should look like, there is not only a healing process that goes on, but the result will be better than any one person or any one group could ever come up with. So our Japanese-American uh, collaborators and, and supporters you know, have shown us how this process can work and the beauty of this process. It's not perfect, but there is nothing that is perfect in human existence. This is a way for America to have what I refer to as a naked lunch moment with our history, meaning that moment when everyone has to look at what's really on the end of their fork. And when people see that reality, the discussion about reparations becomes even more real. All right, any more thoughts on this? Okay, so we have about 17 minutes left with this panel and I'm gonna go into uh, um, a question uh, of contention. <laughs> so right now, as HR 40 is becoming more popular, more people are talking about it. Another hot topic concerning HR 40 is the idea that it needs to be edited or scrapped and we start over again. And there's been circulating these um, these lists of proposed edits from various sources and people. One, uh, so there's two, and uh, Mr. Robinson, you addressed one part of the edits earlier, but part of the proposed edits pushed forward are that um, our justice claim should be limited to 1776 instead of 1619. Um, and that uh, there, there needs to be uh, the creation of an eligibility identity standard to prove um, African ancestry in America to be an eligible recipient of uh, reparations. What are your, your thoughts on these? Do, does HR 40 need edits or does HR 40 need to be passed? Well I, would, well, I would say, uh, again, these ideas can certainly be presented to the commission for consideration. Um, but I think that there's, there's a reason why we have had organizations uh, over the, 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 the decades and the generations working on this issue. Uh, what we've had recently are well-meaning folks, and maybe some who may not be so well-meaning, who are dropping in ideas that have largely been rejected in the past. For example, 
you know, many of us, and, and Sister Nkichi referenced it, referenced it the, the reparations movement largely came out of the nationalist pan-Africanist community. That does not mean we didn't have debates, we don't have differences, but there is a notion about pan-Africanism. There's a notion about the holistic um, 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 no, na nature of what the what enslavement meant. So some people are, you know, trying to go to particular eras and particular periods. You know, a lot of people got dropped off in this country uh, during the course of the slave trade. I don't know how we sort of trace that back. What we do know is that if you are an African person in the Caribbean, for example, or in Central and South America, you suffered some form of enslavement. Malcolm's folks, uh, Shirley Chisholm's folks, yes, Kamala Harris folks suffered some form uh, of, of enslavement. Uh, the other issue becomes uh, when you come to this country even now, what we do know is that our communities are underdeveloped and that our communities are still being victimized by racially exclusionary policies now, like the war on drugs. Nobody asked Amadou Diallo whether or not he was Haitian or, or I'm sorry, from, from Guinea or, or Abner Lumima, whether he was from Haiti. You know, it's like Malcolm said, we all catch hell for the same reason. We all catch hell because we are black people. The other thing becomes, even if we could come up with some eligibility qualification, are you telling me that we're going to actually try to get some tests out and test people's blood to try to find out which one of us is and which one of us ain't? I mean, to me, I'm sorry. I mean, we, we don't need to go down that path. Uh, we are all still in underdeveloped communities. There are ways in which, as we break this out, you know, uh, Professor Ogletree was quoted today of saying, well, there are the least among us and, and people who may need more than others and so forth and so on. But we're certainly going to, uh, I don't think, should do that on the basis of blood quantum, trying to figure out who is and who ain't uh, in relationship a person who actually was a, uh, a descendant of, uh, of, 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 of American slavery. Uh, I, I have a fundamental uh, uh, objection to that. I think it's Black nativist in some respects, and I also think it is obviously anti-Pan-Africanism and therefore cannot stand with that position. Dr. Robinson, you have thoughts on this too? Well, I just, you know, Cam Howard wrote a response to uh, the other issue about, you know, we can't start before 1776. And if you, just for as an analogy, if you have three corporations that have been violating people's rights and making millions and millions of dollars on those violations, and a bigger corporation comes and buys all of them up, the bigger corporation can't say, oh, well, that wasn't me. I wasn't doing that. That was those other people that were doing it. The argument makes no sense because when the colonies that became America were existing from 1619 to 1776, they were building huge amounts of wealth on the institution of slavery. And when they came together in the Constitutional Convention, they said to each other, the issue of slavery was right on the middle of the table. And James Madison, the father of the Constitution, the, the, the ones that people say, oh, he was so against slavery, one of the things he said to people is, don't worry about these enslaved people being freed, because there is nothing in the Constitution that says that they will ever be freed. 
So America came together, looked at exactly what the white supremacy and racism that was going on in the colonies was. They looked exactly at it and they said, not only do we like it, we're doubling down on it. And so that's why America can't escape responsibility for what happened before 1776, because America took the benefits of chattel slavery from 1619 to 1776. If you take the benefits, then you've got to take the responsibility. And I would say that um, I am a descendant of Africans enslaved in the United States. I want to repeat that. A descendant of Africans enslaved in the American in, in the United States. I'm not an American descendant of slaves or an American descendant of uh, slavery. HR 40 has already been fixed. It's been fixed to go from a study bill to a remedy bill. We need to not fix it any further. It needs to be passed, passed HR 40. And then we can come up with all of these other issues that are coming up in terms of um, identity and operationalizing and et cetera, et cetera. But let's pass the bill so that we can get around the necessary task of, um, of, of putting it in, into reality. Sounds like a good hashtag, pass the bill. <laughs> um, I'd like to jump in just for a minute, please. <clears throat> um, just wanna echo everything that everyone has said about this topic. But we do live in a uh, land uh, of democratic ideals and opportunities. And the one thing that can always happen is if you go to congress.gov and type in anything, you'll see that there are numerous bills on the same title, on the same uh, topic, about the same thing. So anytime there is legislation that does not meet with the criteria or the expectations of anyone, then there is that freedom to write your own legislation, find a bill sponsor, introduce it, and, and, and go through the process of lobbying to get it passed. But to just um, pick something that's, that, that's asinine and, and to try and make a, a, a big issue out of it um, we don't have the time for that. We don't have the luxury. We don't have the time. And as we say in one of our campaigns, we can no longer wait. We have to pass HR 40. There will be opportunities for anyone who has input into the process to, to present themselves and, and, and to say whatever they need to say, uh, either in favor of the bill or against the bill. But um, again, we live in a we live in a we live in a land of dem democratic ideals, and that dictates that you can find someone to sponsor your your legislation, and 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 move forward. Uh, we don't have to waste our time just belaboring uh, insignificant issues. Thank you. And, and could I just correct something that I said very quickly because I think it's really important. When Kathy Masayoka testified today, she said that she, or what I said about her testimony was that she was against reparations. She was not against reparations. She was always for reparations. She was against the commission 
because she felt that they didn't need a commission to tell the truth about what everybody knew was the truth. And yet the commission was able, I think as the experience went on, as she testified, that commission played a role. So I just wanted to be clear that our witness today was always for reparations for Japanese Americans. It was the commission that she had a problem with and she came to believe that the commission ended up being a good idea. I also just want to quickly, if I could, because uh, I see it popping up in the chat as well, address this issue of, I use the term black nativism. And so I think we need to have an honest conversation about that as well. Nativism is a kind of national chauvinism and that kind of anti-integrationism that we see, you know, the MAGA people doing. I mean, that's Trump stuff, right? Uh, you know, make America great again and, you know, uh, scapegoating uh, immigrants and so forth, um, which is in principle wrong. We are not to do that to any human beings. Within the African-American community, if we were to be truthful, there are some people who really are kind of resentful. I mean, there are just too many Nigerians up in here. I mean, what, what, what are them Caribbeans coming over here taking our jobs? So there's now this notion of having a distinct African-American, uh, 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 African identity to distinguish us from them. I've even heard this in conversation because they are taking our jobs. We need to have when we talk about programs, these jobs are for the African-American identity folk and them Nigerians and the Ghanaians and them Jamaicans, you know, they don't get them. Now, come on. We are not going, at least from my perspective, that's, that's I mean, if we have issues in our communities, I mean, we have something called a Pan-African Unity Dialogue in, in New York, where there are sometimes tensions and issues that we need to talk through. But we will solve them as African people among ourselves. We should not allow ourselves to be divided on the basis of we're going to say that our sisters and brothers, you know, our, as African people, that we're going to exclude them or somehow uh, label them in such a way that they can't get certain benefits. So I think fundamentally, I would appeal to my sisters and brothers to think about that. We have a bigger tent than that. I'm not saying they're not issues that we don't need to discuss and resolve, but we can resolve them by talking to each other. And we certainly don't need to adopt some right wing and some there's some suspicion that some of this is coming. And some people may unwittingly be buying into it from some right wing sources who have this kind of conservative position. And therefore, they can recruit black people on the basis of grievance and resentment against our own brothers and sisters. I hope we don't fall into that trap. Thank you, Dr. Daniels. Um, we have about five minutes left. So I'm gonna go to a, a question that was emailed to me earlier today. Um, are we to believe that uh, the majority Democratic US House of Representatives are in favor of this bill? And what are the prospects uh, for this reparations bill being passed in the Senate? Anyone can start. Um, okay. Sure, I'll start. Okay, so we have more co-sponsors than we've ever had in history. We have a Senate bill introduction, which we have never had before uh, in history. We are doing everything that we can to get as many co-sponsors and bring it further across to the uh, finish line, but we know how to count also, okay? And we know how to count, and we're pretty much certain that the bill will pass the House of Representatives. We know how to count. We know that in the Senate, even though we have a very, very slim majority that 
but it takes more than that to withstand a, a filibuster. Again, we know how to count. So what does that mean? That means that we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. If and when that time uh, comes, we're going to be making uh, a concerted effort to look at some of the other uh, baskets, such as the executive order branch uh, basket, but not do it in, in, in a manner that it's just unwieldy, but to take the exact same commission bill, HR 40, S 40, and subsume it within uh, an executive order so that the, it can get passed and the commission can get to its work. Hi, this is Scotty Reed, founder and president of Black Talk Media Project, the nonprofit pro-black media organization that has been providing safe digital media spaces for black people facing digital racism online. When the organization launched the Black Talk Radio Network digital radio and podcasting platform, we were among just a few platforms targeting African Americans and the African diaspora with listeners tuning in from all around the world. We have been awarded back-to-back number one rankings by the media tech firm Feedspot, which is based in India. Since 2008, the Black Talk Media Project has been launching online media platforms and sponsoring prison slavery abolitionist events in the real world. 99% of our operating budget comes from listeners and members of the various platforms like BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com and BTRCommunity.com. Visit either platform online today to find out how you can make a donation and ensure Black Talk Radio for future generations. Thanks and be well.